Dice, dragons, demons, and a dwarf in the Warhammer worlds. Don't miss our live show on Thursdays, but for now, you've got us on sloppy seconds with our podcast with the Grimdark Gang. It's time once again for Grimdark Live. Hey, welcome to Grimdark Live, weekly webcast for all things dice, dragons, demons, and a dwarf in the Warhammer worlds. I'm your host, Patrick, and as always, my co-host, Steve. What do you hear? What do you say, bud? Screw you, Nurgle. I'm not going to say your favorite number. <laughs> those, those slimy bastards. They got us. Well, you know, I, th- I think we're coming out of the end of this, man. I think the uh, hopefully the light at the end of the tunnel isn't a train, man, or, or Darth Vader's lightsaber or something like that. Yeah, you know? I think we got some white wizards in here to uh, burn the Nurgle rod out of most of the... Uh most of the community yeah i think we're i think we're coming to the end of this uh this little pandemic that we're in you know it's uh it's, thank god yeah yeah you're not kidding man i mean this uh this is this has been this has been crazy i, I gotta admit you know on a, on a serious note i mean i know we do this goofy little show here but on a, on a serious note this has been a weird time hasn't it yeah i mean it's definitely well at least i hope it's a once in a lifetime experience yeah well, like I said, I... I and not I, necessarily a good one, obviously. No, no, no. You know, I think it's going to be one of those things that we're going to look back on, I, you know, for, for whatever reason, the world kind of freaked out, and uh, here we are. But, yeah, I think we are definitely uh, coming to the very end of this. So what do we got, man? Uh, we, got, uh, we, we, got a, we got a pretty hefty show. Not, not a lot of... To- we, don't, we don't have many topics, but the few topics we have are kind of beefy. So what do you got, man? What are we going to be talking about? Well, we're going to examine the shooting phase and all of the abilities that are done within that phase. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that. I like that idea because, you know, shooting has definitely become more prevalent in the game than say it was in the past oh and, without a doubt yeah and you, but you know what's funny it's 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 when i say in the past i mean age of sigmar but if i go in the past past it's quite a bit different than say the world that you and i came from rank and flank seventh eighth edition and, and oh, whatnot it's not even comparable yeah and so we're, we're going to get into that a little bit too because i think there are some things that were pretty horrible back then but i think there are some things that were good about it too that that might actually do some wonders for the uh the shooting phase and the shooting armies that are out there uh in the game so yeah but also we've got the uh, the rumor engine we're going to be getting back to normal May first. It looks like, which is tomorrow. And I kind of, I kind of decided here, Steve, as a, as a, as a, a news, but not quite news topic. I, I, I did a little. I'm going to take us on a little left turn at Albuquerque, as I, as I normally do here on the show. I decided that I'm going to talk about the top three armies in the meta right now in Age of Sigmar. And if you wanted to be a player of those top three armies, how much are you going to have to? open up the wallet for the cost in other words of of the top armies and i what i did was i looked at the last say seven or so major gts around the planet and i kind of looked at the, the the top actually i looked at the top five and i kind of narrowed it down i said all right i'll just i'll just take these three so kind of interesting and i'll explain how i kind of came to that one so yeah well i tell you what man it's uh, we're almost to uh 
May 1st. Can you believe it? Yeah, my God, we're coming up on half a year. I mean, it seems like it just got started. I know it. I mean, it, it, it it's going by. But you know what's funny? You know like the old saying, April showers bring May flowers? Yes. You Where know, are you going with this? Do you know what May flowers bring? Oh, God, here we go. Pilgrims. <laughs> See? Yeah, let's, let's move on. All right. See, I, I, I thought it was somewhere out there. Somebody out there appreciates my You're humor, Bob Steve. Hope's younger brother. No hope. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And as always, we got the question of the day and the closing thoughts towards the end of the show. Hey, you Grimdark goons, thank you all so much for listening to our Grimdark Live podcast. If you're new to the Grimdark Live experience or new to our podcast and like what you hear, please follow this podcast and pass us along to your friends. Let us know what you think about Grimdark Live in the show's comment sections, and let us know just how we're doing. Also, don't forget to catch us live on Thursdays. And if that isn't enough for you, check out our website at www.grimdarklive.com. That's grimdarklive.com. Anyway... Thanks for listening, following, and just being awesome. We got, we got a lot of good stuff happening uh, towards the end of this year. We're coming out of this COVID nineteen thing. We got some great tournaments to look forward to, and so I'm 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 actually pretty optimistic now. You know? Yeah, I think we're turning a corner. Um, you know, I mean, God bless the people who've lost family members in this you know terrible plague, but. Um, there's always light at the end of the tunnel, and I think we're finally coming into it. Yeah. Well, like I said, I let, let, let's hope the light at that end of the tunnel isn't uh, isn't a train or Darth Vader's uh, lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. By, by, by the way, though, that is a great scene in Rogue One. Oh, it is the scene in Rogue One. I mean, uh, when you're sitting there looking, you know, looking through that the the smoke and the fog and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden you see that red lightsaber turn on. I thought the entire uh, theater was going to erupt in uh, in emotion. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny is is and even the iconic breathing. You know, right before he ignited his lightsaber, you hear those first couple of breaths. You know, it's uh, it was uh, it, it's uh, a very iconic thing. But you know, yeah, I, I was actually sitting in the theater, and, and I know, folks, you're, you're like, isn't this the Warhammer show? Yes. Uh, but I remember when that happened um, in that particular scene, people actually started cheering. And isn't it? Oh, oh, cheering! Oh my God! I mean, they were they were uh, orgasmic when he was killing those rebel soldiers. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it was. It's it's funny how back in the day Vader was looked at as a villain. Like when I was a kid and I saw Star Wars for the first time, uh, he was a villain. Right. I mean, people didn't cheer him; they loathed him. Right. And isn't it funny how the times have changed? Where now we're cheering on the bad guy. Well, it's funny because I think people still connect Darth Vader now to that ending yeah. scene in Return of the Jedi. You know, the helmet comes off, and he's almost got the puppy dog eyes. He kind of he kind of looks like a pop pimple. Well, under that thing, and it but... does relate to Warhammer in a way, because in many ways we do relate to the anti-hero. There's something about the rebellious American spirit that, you know, we do relate to that anti-hero. We know they're bad. We 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 know they're they're no good. But I think there's always that spark or that belief that an, even the anti-hero can find redemption 
in the end. Right. And I think that's why we love the anti-hero so much because everyone likes, you know, everyone wants to wear, uh, you know, be the man in black. That's true. That's true. And we're not going to start talking about Johnny Cash either. All right. So let's, uh, well, we could, <laughs> that's it. Well, let's, uh, let's keep rolling. We got, let's start with the news. We got, um, we actually got some pretty, uh, uh, well, you know, what we got, we got another rumor engine. We're just going to, we're just going to start there with, uh, with the news. So here it is. This one's pretty simple. I mean, talk about GW throwing us a softball. I mean, this is definitely Seraphon to me. Um, but again, I'm going to oh, go back to yeah. I'm going to go back to potentially maybe an yeah, underworld or Warcry war band or something like that. Yeah, it's the Warcry band for Seraphon. Yeah, I think that's. I think that was it was that was obvious to me the minute I looked at it. Yeah, right, right. So I, I think it's funny because um, you know I, I appreciate it every you know whenever they throw these little softballs at us every now and again, it, it kind of gives me you know uh, a good feeling because you know to be honest with you. I like to know what's coming up. And I know as a hobby company, sometimes GW, they, they got to kind of hold their cards close to their chest because sure. they want, they want the enticement of, of the, the purchase dollars, you know, and without getting into that, you know, we know that the hobby dollars are uh, limited, right? So, um, but it's nice when they get something like this, because I got to tell you, is it me or has the Seraphon kind of, have they fallen flat or am I just making that up in my mind? Yeah, they were never a very popular army to begin with, which is the reason why they didn't redo the the, uh, the product line. They were never going to make money off of this army. Uh, they put out the temple to placate their fans, which was very nice. It's a beautiful piece of terrain. But yeah, I mean, go to tournaments. You don't see Seraphon ever. Now, granted, Seraphon won Adepticon, which I thought was hilarious last year, but you don't see Seraphon. And by last year, I mean the previous year. Of course, we missed this Adepticon, of course. Exactly. This virus, but just saying, you don't see Seraphon ever. And the people that we do see playing them are our hardcore, old school Seraphon guys like Randy. Yeah. You know. And even, um, and even Justin, you know, Justin played Seraphon for years. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and we're referring to a couple of guys in our gaming group folks. So. Yeah. But, um, no, I just think it's a Seraphon Warcry, you know, uh, unit. It'll be, you know, it's a great little addition to the Lizardman army, but no big deal. I mean, I think everyone who looked at that rumor picture was like, oh, that's the Warcry, you know, that's the Warcry group that they're coming out with. Right. Right. Well, no like, I'm kind of glad that they, uh, that they kind of threw us a softball because it was, um, uh, it was nice because, but yeah, I, you know what, the thing is, I, I don't see it being anything else other than underworlds or, or war cry, most likely war cry yeah. and, and seeing how the Seraphon just got a battle tome, you know, I'm going to go with war cry war band, you know, yep. uh, more because I, I honestly hear, you know, talking about something else, I think is kind of like in, in the, in the, what do I want to say in the twilight of its existence, I think, is it fair to say Shadespire might be, or do, or do you think it's, or do you think, do you think it's just because we've been removed from the hobby for almost six weeks and not out gaming that no, my mind is going there? No, I think that um, Spire was a, you know, was a great little game unto itself. And, and now it, the natural progression or evolution of the skirmish game has become Warcry. And I think that everyone would agree. Yeah. I mean, Underworlds, name one time you ever walked into a store and saw Underworlds being played. I cannot I cannot recall one incident where I've ever walked into 
even a GW store uh, and the, saw a the, game the, of Underworlds being played. The now, only I'm not time the game's not popular because I we we know that at Adepticon, uh, what was it two years ago? They had uh, a sold out tournament. They did. They so did. yeah. And it's think, just I, that Warcry is the next step, right? And I think I think that the only thing that, that I've ever seen Warcry being played is when it like it like consecutively in the stores, the first couple of weeks when when they when it launched, you know, GW yeah. stores and, and even some independent stores uh, had it in their in their their stores for people to kind of try out. But but yeah, all right. So that, that's the rumor engine, and you know, moving on, I kind of want to take us to our next topic, considering uh, we we just brought up stores and uh all that good stuff we were notified in um by i think it was on tuesday in a statement by gw that gw will be able to open up some of their warehouses and will begin shipping orders very soon it looks like that uh, may 1st uh from what i understand they're going to be taking orders um and this means that orders already placed are going to be fulfilled um, it won't quite be business as usual, though. They wanted everyone to be aware that there's going to be a few things to bear in mind. Um, one of them is going to be many of their retail stores are going to be closed, but the ship, so, so the ship to store delivery won't be available. You know, and what, what they've kind of said here, Steve, is to offset some of this, they're going to be reducing the free shipping threshold by 50% in all uh, their territories that they sell to, basically, you know, most of the globe, uh, where this option was previously available. So, yeah, they're gonna that's try to give people, move. yeah, they're going to try to give people a, a break. And I got to do, as a side note, before I get to the next two points here that GW released, I'm pretty impressed with how GW has handled all of this. By the way, well, they handled it the only way that they could. Um, you were not going to take a social game like Warhammer and infect and and get all of your customers sick. So when they closed down the gaming tables, you know, I even said to our local GW manager, I said, I thought that was a great idea. Number one, you can play at home. You can go play at your buddy's garage. You don't have to be in the store. We, I, I know we like to go to store. Other people and get, you know, maybe a new guy might get a game like decision you don't want to get your customer base sick we are like you know the, the game stores are not exactly known for being uh you know bleach clean uh you know and germ free that's right that's right um so yeah i thought they handled it well but the next two points that they they, they wanted everyone to be aware of as far as not being business as usual is um the warehouse is going to be reconfigured for extra safety and it may take longer than normal to process and pack and ship your orders. That's the second one. And the third one is uh, the factory apparently, or, or most of their factories are still locked down and they're likely to see a few more items than usual go out of stock. So it's going to, it's going to make them a, a, a little bit longer than normal to resupply them. So they're kind of asking for everyone to be a little bit more patient with them as far as the, the yeah, home base and, and operations. People, and people yeah, and people need to be patient. I mean, you know, look, we're we're lucky the company didn't go out of business being shut down for a month and a half. I mean, there's, I mean, look at all the people out there that you know have lost their businesses by being shut down this long. So it's probably a good thing that they had the revenue, you know, to to back them up for a couple couple months until they could reopen their warehouse and get things slowly start ro- rolling again. You know, right? People yeah. need to be patient. Yeah, they need do to understand. You know these these people are going back to the warehouse. It's going to take them time to reorient themselves and get back into the swing of things. 
to get all these orders that people had, you know, just be patient. Let, let them do what they do best. They know what they're doing. They know how to ship things out. Right. And, and that's the, that's the, that's the bigger company as far as GW, but we can't forget about our independent game stores. Um, and GW has also not forgotten them. You know, they're going to be sending their independent stock stock lists, a supply of a very special edition character. Um, and I guess it's a, uh, Katachin Colonel, and they're going to be doing this free of charge so that they can keep every penny, um, that they, uh, so the, so the independent game stores can 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 keep all the money. So they're going to be giving these to the game store, the independent stores, uh, to purchase. Um, there's also going to be some other limited edition made-to-order miniatures um, that are not going to be available anywhere else. So keep in touch with your local independent stores to find out what those are going to be. You know, they're going to be, uh, especially them, more so than, again, I'm not disparaging GW, but they're a bigger, more stable company um, than some of these Monpog, you know, you know, game stores out there, they're going to be really depending on your loyalty when they reopen. So let's, uh, and I know that a lot of people have been supporting them as, as they can. I know I have, um, especially with their online businesses, or some of them were doing these little uh, gift certificates or these vouchers. So uh, always keep them in mind too, because like I said, a lot of times when you can't always go to a GW store with your proxy models, you know, but you can always, if you want to try something out, you can always, uh, you can always do that at, at your, at your local store. So, so keep them in mind as well, because, uh, they're also a massive part of this community as well. Yeah, totally agree. So, um, but yeah, I wish I had something for AOS, but I guess, Hey, you know, 40 K is still the, uh, is still the favorite well, child. huh? 40 K is the cash cow. And, and I think that even the AOS players know that, and, you know, we're used to it. I mean, we're used to getting, you know, run over by a bus but okay you know exactly it's it's the way it is you know you got to go where the money is that's it a public service announcement brought to you by frag factory 3d printing many of us have thousands of dollars in miniatures yet we play on flat tables with books and overturned tupperware to act as our fantasy and sci-fi landscapes We've all drooled over the tables we see in magazines lush with beautifully created terrain from all genres. The crew at Frag Factory 3D Printing want to wipe that drool from your chin and put it firmly on your friends and fellow gamers when they see your setup. Alien landscapes, desert wastelands, futuristic cities, fantasy outposts, elven forests, demonic stronghold, and so much more. Find out what you've been missing by checking us out on Facebook at Frag Factory 3D Printing or send us an email at fragfactory3dprinting at gmail.com. Bring your own files or we will help you find what you've been searching for. Take your gaming to the next level with Frag Factory 3D Printing. We print life into your games. Tell them Grimdark Live sent you and your first hour of printing is free. Hey gang, in all seriousness, Get your terrain on the table and get it with Frag Factory 3D Printing. And remember, tell them Grimdark Live sent you and they'll give you one hour free. You can get them via email at fragfactory3dprinting at gmail.com or their Facebook page, Frag Factory 3D Printing. Frag Factory 3D Printing. Printing life into your games. Now, back to the show. Moving on. I I did something here, Steve, that I thought was kind of interesting. Sure. I decided to what put together, it? before the show, um, I, I, I wanted to look at something, and I'll tell you how I kind of came up to this before I, I really kind of throw it out there. Before the show, I was watching TV, and 
I was watching this show and it was the ending of a documentary on the New York Yankees baseball team. So the cusp of the story was how the former owner of the Yankees, and I'm not going to get into big detail here, folks, but the the guy's name was George Steinbrenner. Maybe you've heard the name, Steve, you've heard of him, right? Both. God, yes. Yeah. So the former owner of the Yankees, George Steinbrenner bought, you know, and I say bought, he used his wallet to pay, you know, uh, a lot of money over and above the cap to get the best players. But he, they, they say he bought every championship, and, of course, when he died in 2010, the team hasn't done nearly as well as they did when he was alive and, quote-unquote, buying these championships. That was the cusp of the documentary. I'm, I'm not a Yankees fan, but I thought I would just throw that out there. But it got me thinking. And what could, with all the stores reopening for online sales May 1st, it, it got me thinking. Could a, could a gamer take the George Steinbrenner method and, and buy a winning list for Age of Sigmar and what would that cost be? I mean, Steve, have you ever kind of thought about that? No, oh, of, of course. They I, do it all the time. I, I mean, d- that's, that's how people win tournaments. That's why we call them the Meta Chasers. That's why we call them the Meta Chasers. So what I did was I, I looked at the last, I don't know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guesstimate here, maybe the last, I think I looked at, I, look, I think I looked at seven tournaments um, around the globe you know, recent, uh, recent tournaments around the globe. And the interesting thing about what I came up with was there was about five lists that five armies that were generally in the top five, but there were three that were fairly consistent. And, uh, that was Zeech, Oceark Bone Reapers and Fire Slayers. So I thought, I said that, okay, let's take a look at this. And of course I'm using American dollars here. Um, and a lot of things I, I didn't, I didn't account for paintbrushes and paint and, you know, all the little knickknacks and supplies you need. I'm talking about just the, the plastic in the boxes. So the first one, the first one here is each. Now this was a pretty common list in a lot of the different tournaments that I looked at. So now the overall cost of this list starts with the start collecting the demons of each, which contains already the change caster and one unit of flamers and a unit of pink horrors. Uh, allowed, and, and there's also, I guess, you know, you'd have to purchase one more Flamers unit. But here's the list. you got a Lord of Change, you know, Fate Master, a Gaunt Summoner on a disc as each, Blue Scribes, you know, your Change Caster, the Changeling, 10 Pink Horrors of Zeech, 2 units of 3 Flamers of Zeech, 2 units of 10 Brimstone Horrors of Zeech, and, of course, your Endless Spells, your Emerald Life Swarm, your uh, Aether Void Pendulum, and the... Uh, the, the, the Slaves of Darkness one, the, the, the Darkfire Demon Rift. But here's what's interesting about this one, right? So the, the Aether Void, uh, the Aether, Aether Void Pendulum and the Emerald Life Swarm are in the same Malign Sorcery box. And, of course, you'd have to buy an extra box of the entire S, you know, Slaves of Darkness spells for the Darkfire Demon Rift. The Zeech can also summon different demons so i kind of thought okay you're going to average in probably about 10 pink horrors off the gaunt summoner uh so i added that in and the cost includes um also at least 20 blue horrors that are already in the, in the brimstone box set so there you have it you're looking you know if you want to and, I, and, and i'm saying first second third so if you see folks what's on the screen here uh, of course again for the people in the podcast you're not gonna you're not gonna see this but i'm not saying this is each was the first i'm just saying this is the first of the three so just to be clear here um, so yeah, you're looking at about just under 500 bucks for for this list here that I'm showing on my screen. Which actually is not bad. No, no, for it's, a Warhammer army. 
No, it's it's that's, it's not. That's good. Yeah, but I mean, this is currently the I would have to say though of the of the three, maybe in some areas tied with with Fire Slayers. You're looking at probably the list here that that probably has won more tournaments than 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 what's yeah, been published. It's, it's the current meta. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So the second one that I looked at here was the Osiarch Bone Reapers, and of course, you know, this is the new darling, right? You know, the Bone Daddies. And this one was pretty simple, simple enough to come up with because there's going to be no discounts available anywhere because it's the new army. But this thing was a little bit cheaper than the Zeech, coming in at $462.11. And this was Nagash, uh, a Liege Cavalos, three units of Cavalos Death Riders. Um, I think I think it was 15, a unit of 15, a five, and, a, and, and another unit of five. Um, and in addition, Nagash uh, had uh, available the, the Bone Tithe, uh, Shrieker and the Emerald Life Swarm Endless Spells. So, and of course, you know, the, the, the Bone Tithe Nexus. So that's where that one came out to be. And, and you know what's funny is I saw um, oh, where, where OCR won, they, they won big. Otherwise, they were just somewhere in the top five of, yeah. the, of the different tournaments that I looked at. So kind of an interesting piece there. But I'll tell you what, <clears throat> we got 486 for the Zeech, 462 for the Osiarchs. Steve, I thought of you, man, every time you brought up the cost of Fire Slayers. $559.67 for these expensive little bastards. And um, I, the list hasn't come up yet on my screen. Uh, is, do you have the list up? It's up, yeah. Okay, just give it a sec here. Yeah, you should. Um, yeah, there probably be a little bit of a lag between uh, what 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 Steve. Yeah, sees. there sure is. Keep going down a little bit more. So, okay, let me see so the what list. Here. Yeah. Okay, so go ahead. I got a rune master, a rune father, a rune smiter, a battlesmith, three units of five orc hearthguards, two units of twenty hearthguard berserkers, a runic firewall, and a fire slayer terrain piece. Um, so obviously the rune father and the rune smiter. Uh, can only be found in the start collecting box. The Fire Slayer's box can be assembled on foot if the if the Rune Sun is assembled on a Magma Droth. So my assumption is that uh, one set is more than enough. Um, and you're going to need, however, 11 Hearthguard kits. So I know this isn't exactly the list that you would you were playing or you would come up with, Steve, but this oh, was... Oh, it's close. The but, only difference I see here is they used three units of five orc hearth guard to protect the characters whereas i would have probably gone with another unit of 20 hearth guard berserkers but that's just you know six of one half a dozen of the other that's what i would have gone with the fire slayers you would have gone with i mean you're looking at about a about a hundred a hundred dollars more uh than the other two than the other two lists Zeech yeah i wouldn't OCRs. have taken all those or a curse guard because um number one i think you need you you need the berserkers and the four up ward save to make the army work right um i mean i know the hearth guard i mean i know the orc hearth guard are good shooters and stuff like that but i don't know just personal preference i would have gone with the fighting version of the army but yeah and, and that's rather cheap i mean honestly well, again, you know, I know that I know that we've talked about here on the show in the past, you know, the cost of the armies and, and we're usually taking into account, you know, the painting mats, the brushes, the little, you know, the little dip cup for your, your brushes oh, and yeah. the paints you're and all that other things. Yes, you're, you you're that exactly, exactly right. So, uh, but I thought it was interesting. And, you know, like I said, I just thought it was an off the cuff thing that would be, it'd be kind of a nice piece to kind of throw out there because, you know, 
I think it happens. As a matter of fact, I know it happens. You get these, you, you know, you get these, you know, these, these cold meatloaf eating basement dwellers who, who really want to be something in life and they decide that they want to go chase the meta and they, as you always aptly put, I'm going to let you kind of take it from here. They, they go and they play with somebody else's toys. And what does it cost if you want to George Steinbrenner, you know, and, and buy your next win? You know, what would that, what would that cost be? You know, I well, guess there it is. It, it just, it, there's so many factors here. When, whenever we, you know, we've had this conversation before when you talk about people who chase the meta, they're not bad people. No, not and at all. Do, and, and, and it doesn't make them a bad person because they want to win a tournament. I mean, if you're going to a tournament and you're spending $60, I mean, you're there to win. You're not there to lose and, you know, smile and pretend to be, you know, everybody's friend. You're going to a tournament to compete against five other people. And sometimes, you know, those games are going to get brutal and you better be on your game. That's true. So you need, a, so you need an army that can do that. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, it all goes back to intent. What are you intending to do with this hobby? Are you just playing the hobby because you love the cool models? Uh, you know, or are you playing it because you want to go to tournaments, you know, three, four times a year and, and try to win? Right. Whichever avenue you take is fine by me. As long as you don't besmirch the other category. Now, what I hear sometimes coming out of the, you know, meta chasers is that, you know, well, if you're not in a tournament to win it, you have no business being there. Well, to that, I say, screw you. Because if I decide to enter a tournament, that's my choice. Whether or not my army wins or is capable of winning is my choice, my problem. And, you know, as long as I'm paying my $60 and my army is painted and on the table, you shouldn't have anything to say about it. And conversely, you as that kind of laid back player should not besmirch the meta chaser. And I know a lot of people think all oh, these guys, all they do is, you know, they go after meta chasers. No, I don't. When we, when we go after a meta chaser, we're going after the ones that are ignorant, that are rude to other people that try to ruin the experience for other gamers by being obnoxious. That is not what we're talking about here. Now, we're talking about someone who plays the meta and wants to win. And we know plenty of guys within our own group that fit that bill. When they go to a tournament, they are intending to win the tournament. But I can tell you the guys that we know that are meta chasers, they're good guys. And, and they've never acted inappropriately. So it, it, like I said, when, whenever we look at these army lists, whenever we, you know, kind of design what we want to go up and, and bring into tournaments or just use for casual games, you have to go back to that initial question. What are you intending to do in this hobby? You know, when I picked up my troll army, I intended to play that army and have fun with it. And just, it is what it is. I did not buy that army saying, you know, that's it. Adepticon, it's mine this year. Because I know that's not going to happen. Now, it could, but it's not going to. Okay? Yeah. No, I, so I think that's a great way to put to it. Intent. Yeah, I think it's a great way to put it. And, and you know, I, 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 on top of having an awesome, awesome, you know, chat name, High Class White Trash, just chimed in again. And I, I got to tell you, the comments that, that are left by High Class, some are some of them are, are just awesome. And this one is pretty well, good, too. absolutely right. Yeah. you. And here's what he says. He says, you can buy the fastest race car, but it you won't it. make you... Uh, but Mario it won't Andretti. matter if you yeah. don't know how to drive it. Yeah, that's what it's. I, I I botched it there, high class. Sorry about that, bud. But um, no, the, the the comment that he made on that is absolutely correct. 
you know. Um, it, but yeah. it just goes back to what we've often said, and I know you say it all the time. Is it the Army or is it the general? Because you and I have seen that person say, hey, I'm going to buy this army. This is the current meta. I'm going to buy this army. And then they put it on the table and it gets wiped out by a mid-card or a mid-level army. And that just goes to show that it is indeed the general behind that army that makes the difference. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I thought I would share that. I thought I would kind of put that out there because I thought it was a... um a good piece to kind of interject because we're going to be talking about our next topic here. Well, before we jump though, I okay. think it's important for everyone to understand if you're like, if you're listening to the show and like you haven't started playing AOS yet and you're thinking about getting into it, what I strongly suggest you do is take and, and set aside at least $700 because that unfortunately is about the, the entry cost for this hobby. Now that may scare some people away, but just remember, you don't have to spend it all at once. Okay. There's maniacs like me that when they want to buy an army, they want to buy the whole thing at, you know, once. Well, that's great. But if you're, you know, a young guy and you're just starting out in life or a young gal, just starting out in life. And you know, you don't have a lot of, you know, extra cash around, you know, you may want to buy your army piecemeal. That's but I'm right. Just telling you have about $700 set aside and accounted for because that's how much it's going to cost. Yeah. And, and folks, Steve makes a really good point, you know, and, and, and he is a maniac, you know, he has, he has often and oftentimes whenever he wants something And back, back in the day when I knew him, we were a lot younger, you know, he had to do a lot of, you know, scurvy favors to get that money, you know, and there was a lot of things that were very questionable. Scurvy favors. I'm just, I'm just glad that he, that he pulled through. I mean, you know, those, those were a lot of late nights for him to get those armies, but you know, that's determination. That's the Steve that we know. <laughs> lies folks all lies so can, can we move on can we move on to the next topic here do you want to keep sure. talking about your nightlife and how you afforded these armies when you were younger please stop <laughs> hey gang i wanted to take a break in today's show to introduce one of our sponsors and a great store for all of your hobby needs that's GameStorm Gaming in Lamont, Illinois. Open seven days a week, 12 to 12. GameStorm Gaming has got you covered for all of your hobby and gaming needs. They got Magic the Gathering, War Machine, X-Wing, Game of Thrones, Force of Will card game, PC gaming and repair, Warhammer 40K, and Age of Sigmar, and a ton more. Grab paints, brushes, cases, dice, and a lot more at GameStorm Gaming in Lamont, Illinois. Stop in and see John and the gang there at GameStorm Gaming, located at 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois, or check them out on their website at GameStormGaming.com. Again, that's www.GameStormGaming.com. They also stay open past midnight for special cases and events. So get over there and get your nerd on with GameStorm Gaming, 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois, 630-243-9330. Again, that's GameStorm Gaming, 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois. GameStorm Gaming is a proud sponsor of Grimdark Live. We hope to see you there. All right, so so here it is. I mean, folks, you kind of heard at the beginning of the show when we were, we were kind of introducing and talking about what we were going to be talking about. Um, we decided that we were going to take a look at shooting armies. 
units. You know, it's becoming more and more relevant and prevalent in the game. So Steve, we're talking on shooting armies and units this evening at Grimdark Live. You ready? Sure. All right. And when we think shooting armies, there are some obvious ones that come to mind. There's Cities of Sigmar, Karadran Overlord, Skaven, and, and your personal favorite, Zeech. You, even your trolls have shooting. Yeah. So competitive shooting in Age of Sigmar tends to be overall, I'd have to say, of the more vulnerable type armies. And, and, and we're going to get to why I just said that. But and what I mean by that is they're essentially poor in melee, but there are some other things that, that accompany that. And ones that, and these type of armies is what I'm saying, they, they need to emphasize target priority while also, um, how do I want to say this, knowing how to play a more patient game. I mean, w- would you agree with this opening assessment when, we, when we're just getting into talking about shooting armies? Yeah, I think that um, you have to draw a line between the mass shooting, low impact armies versus the um, less shooting but high impact shooting armies. Like uh, your um, Thunder Tusks are a perfect example. In the old edition, before they, you know, before the new Ogre book came out, uh, that dirty snowball attack could literally wipe armies off the table. Oh yeah, absolutely. And now, granted, it wasn't a shooting attack, but you and I both know that it happened. You know, in, in the it, shooting it, phase, right? It was a ranged attack, exactly. And I think yeah. what's important for the conversation tonight is that we're not necessarily just talking about shooting as a as part of your profile on your war scroll. We're talking about abilities that are used in the shooting phase or abilities that are like ranged attacks right. that are similar to the shooting, you know, that you would normally see. Right. Like for instance, the dirty snowballs for the thunder tusks. The new the, one. The, the throwing rocks for the trolls. Okay, yeah. Know, that kind right. Of stuff. Yep. And and what I also want to, you know, to piggyback off of that too is we also have to talk about the philosophy of the type of army that pe- that people put together when they try to put these in other words, when they try to bring forty K into Age of Sigmar. Or when when they try to you know have these units you know what is the philosophy and, I, and I'll kind of I'll kind of put it with this Steve, my thoughts are this: these are armies, shooting armies. These are armies which often have to bait their enemies into a long game. They they might even have to be willing to slip behind on points in the early goings of the game in order to dominate the mid and late games because of obviously. They're not moving. They're, they're, they have to be able to get in a range to clear out that no man's land in order for them to later get to the objectives that their opponents might be getting to first. I mean, do you kind of agree with that assessment as far well, as what yeah, I was most, trying to say? Most of the shooting in this game now is uh, shoot and dodge. You shoot, then you back up. You shoot, then you back up. And, and then you have screeners to protect your shooters uh, until it's an opportune moment in the game where you can advance on the objectives. Um, but yeah, I think that it's so varied right now in the game with the types of shooting. I mean, well, this is all, of course, what we're going to be talking about tonight. Yeah. And, and, and and let's kind of stick with that point. I mean, the idea of shooting armies is varied, but frequently in in the history of, of say gunline armies and tabletop gaming is that, you know, when you, when you play against that army or, or even if you put together that type of army, you know, are you quote I'm doing the finger quotations here are you that guy are you the that guy army or an opponent that some may not enjoy playing um and and my thought is that shooting armies can be one of the most difficult to correctly execute as a competitive player um yeah they can be very frustrating to go up against um 
Lord knows I've had some frustrating games against uh, Shooty Zinch, but you know, I'm also not going to not play that person right. simply because they are using a better army than me. And, and I, then I, because then I really am the bad guy. No, I, you're, that. you're right about that. And I was talking more along the lines of the attitudes and how they are varied. I was kind of just picking back, piggybacking off of what you said, but you make a great point because, but I, I guess here, here's the point that, that, that I guess we can make here. It's worth noting, I guess, that in Age of Sigmar, this game of ours, it's exceedingly forgiving to, sh- to, to shooting armies, you know, making them, I guess, if you want to look at it from this way, Steve, and you're better looking at it this way than I am, it, it, you know, being that Age of Sigmar is very forgiving to shooting armies, it does make them tempting for many players to get into and, and play. And, and I guess we're, we're going we're gonna to get into that side point here later. But, um, but, but Steve, here's, here's why I got a question for you. Shooting armies or armies built around shooting units are, as I said earlier, they're enticing for a gamer. And for those players who want to remove their opponent's models from across the table, shooting-based armies can be an advantageous plan. But how do you think these armies fare competitively? Uh, Very well, obviously, because uh, Zinch is winning every tournament. And the majority of what they can throw out is shooting. What they do is they tie up a unit with their horrors and then they just have their flamers or exalted flamers just sit back and incinerate you. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's shoot a player that decides to play a shooting army, like someone who's going to choose a gray water fastness army or someone who is going to choose, uh, you know, a Zinch army or a Skaven army. Uh, if your game plan is to sit back and annihilate your opponent from a distance, then basically what you're accepting for your army is that you are a two-dimensional, yet very, but yet can be a very powerful uh, game plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not. I mean, there's nothing creative about it. I mean, you're you're not you're not a tactician. You're just sitting back and using your opponent as target practice. Now, some people will say, well, that is tactics. Well, okay, maybe. But I prefer, just because I'm a destruction player, I prefer to get up and get in the face of the enemy and, you know, and grind, you know, ground and pound them, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but One-way ticket to pound town. Yeah, I mean, but the majority of your players who, who favor shooting armies, what they like to do is they like to annihilate all of your tough stuff in that first in those first two phases, those first two shooting phases that they have. And then they send up their trash troops to basically just overcome the objectives and win the game. We have a guy in our group that's very good at that, um, who plays a great water fastness army. Very well by the, see, by the way. You, you, yeah, I mean you have to you have to be very judicious when you are a um, when you are a shooty player, you have to have something tanky, no pun intended to my cities of Sigmar players. Right. You have to have something tanky that can actually survive what gets through. And to those cities of Sigmar players who are using like two, three steam tanks and they're putting those up there into combat, you know, when, it, when, it, when the time comes, uh, that can win you the game. Sure. So it depends what kind of a shooty army you're playing. Like if Zinch gets into combat, they're dead. 
Well, if they're, I yeah, get they're, to them, they're, yeah, they're glass cannons. I mean, just from my own perspective, if my trolls can get to a zinch unit, there will not be a zinch unit. Right. There's no chance of them surviving a round of combat with those trolls. So, um, but but if I'm going up against something like a steam tank heavy Cities of Sigmar list, they can stand. They can get into a fight and survive. Right. They may not survive long, but they'll survive long enough. And I think I think that's why you know when you bring up Greywater Fastness, and and, and we're going to get to this a little bit deeper into the topic here. But that's why I think, to me, I like the Greywater Fastness list as far as shooting probably the oh, cities yeah. of sigmar overall because i think tempest eye is pretty good but i don't want to you know we're, we're not here to really talk specifically about that but a great no. water fastness cities of sigmar army very much embraces what a single-minded shooting list should look like in my mind it, it leans into shooting by extending the range which is crucial for creating a no man's land as i said before the rerolls the improved yeah. hits and, yeah. and and your opponent has to is forced to cross that no man's land where you know basically that army yep. can be able to pick them off and meanwhile the battle tome itself really offers some of the most point efficient shooting units in the game as, as well as you know all the little support pieces and screens needed to to make them better but, but see i think it's also important when you consider playing a shooting army that and, and you and I both know this, most people do not play Warhammer the way it is intended to be played. You are supposed to have, what, a minimum of 10 pieces of terrain on the table? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So uh, when you say 10 pieces of terrain, you're not just talking hills and trees all the time. You're talking buildings. You're talking structures that can obscure fire shooting. And even even for even for things that are larger, you know, um, so I think a lot of the times if you're a shooting player, you kind of get a misconception of what your army can do if you are not playing the game properly, which means if I don't see 10 pieces of terrain out on that table, you're not playing the game properly. Because the game is intended to have obstructions. Right. The game is not intended to be an open field for your opponent to just blast the living daylights out of you, which is often what happens when we, you know, when we see your casual Warhammer game being played. And you know what a lot of times if if you also though, GW is, is very good at backing off of their mandatory mandates. You know, they they might say 10, 10 pieces of terrain on the table, but then they say, you know, but talk to your opponent and see what they think. So, you know, I know yeah. in our own gaming group we we have a... We have kind of a neat way to do it. We always put, uh, we we always take two um, uh, d three plus three, and then we roll those that you know to see how many big, medium, and small pieces go on the table based on how many we have. That, that's kind of it what we've really, always done. It really depends on the game store that you're at, the wealth of the club, and by that I mean some clubs have an inordinate amount of terrain. So um, that's and that's a good thing. You know, and then there are some clubs or stores that have very limited terrain. Like you may have a couple trees, you know, stuck onto a base. You may have a few hills and that's it. So um, it you can't you got to be really careful when you're judging a shooting army and not playing by I don't want to say playing by the exact letter of the law, the rules, but 
in a way I am saying that because you do, you do have to play the game right to get a good feel as to how your army is going to, to fare. And I agree with that. I agree with that. And I guess in the same, in the same breath too, not every battle is going to take place on Stalingrad either, you know? So yeah, exactly. I mean, like there are going to be some games where you're going to be fighting across the field, but then there's going to be games when you're in a, where you're in a street fight, where you're literally in a city fighting in the streets. Now, granted, it's, you know, not a lot of clubs have, you know, that kind of high quality terrain, but I think what's important, and I don't mean to drift off topic here into terrain, but I do think it is important that a group needs to have a very wide variety of terrain to get, uh, to get in those uh, really, truly best practice games in. You have to be able to have a wide variety of terrain settings to really test your shooty army. And unfortunately, like I said, a lot of shooty armies don't don't really have to face a lot of terrain in their battles. So no. terrain affects. Go ahead. So in, in, in my opinion, terrain um, can sometimes create um, the illusion in your mind that you are stronger than you are. No, and I, I totally agree with that. I mean, obviously, you know, obstructions are, are going to either, either you know, have to play to your, your talent in the firepower or, or eliminate it completely. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the Grimdark Live experience and the show. If you want to support the show, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on our podcast. This way, you'll be alerted when we post new content. If you'd like to support Grimdark Live further, head over to GrimdarkLive.com, get a t-shirt, dice, or there's Patreon, which makes our show possible. Keeps our mics on and the lights buzzing. Big thanks to everyone, past, present, and future, who have supported Grimdark Live. We do this because of all of you, and of course, we will continue doing this for as long as we can. Okay. You guys ready for more Grimdark Live? Let's get back to the show. That's all great points. But to draw it back here a little bit, I mean, it, to kind of to kind of go to the first point before we started talking about terrain, or the first point that you made that I thought was that was great was shooting armies, right? They they have to check all the boxes, as as we've heard said here. Um, uh, I think yeah, that's a famous doom and darkness line, right? Uh, you know, sure the, the, the yeah. shooting armies have to check all the all the boxes necessary to be successful competitively, albeit in their in their own way. Um, and several of the best shooting units in Age of Sigmar are rewarded for staying still. Let, let's just let's just you know yeah. say for what it is. And most all shooting units prefer to stay away from melee combat because, like like Zeech, you know they're you know they're going to get. Uh, they're going to get hit once, and, and that'll be the, the first and last time they get hit because they're not going to be able to do anything after that. Yeah, um, they're dead. But this the whole, they're hit, they're dead. Yeah, but this whole topic of shooting armies really interests me because uh, having really reflected on the game of Age of Sigmar and, and the many games between the two of us that you and I have played, this last phase of the game, the shooting phase, is very is a very compelling point of, of concentration. And, and it does make sense, though, that if shooting is so great like you were saying everybody would have essentially a 40k age of sigmar ilk army right i mean but obviously there's there's something about shooting where you don't see 40k in age of sigmar you see very few armies in age of sigmar that are capable of putting out that level of of pain 
Right. Uh, there are, I mean, I can only think of a few armies off the top of my head. I know there's more, but I mean, I think immediately of three armies. I think of Greywater Fastness, Cities of Sigmar. I think of Zinch, and I think of Skaven. Now, I know there's other armies out there that can shoot, but when I think of shooting armies in this game, there's only three that are um, almost tailor-made to be shooty armies. Um, but so far, out of those three, there's only one that's winning tournaments. Now, Greywater Fastness is doing well at tournaments, but they're not winning tournaments. Okay. And yeah. by winning, I'm saying, I'm not saying about, okay, you know, one guy won a tournament here, you know, and, you know, Bufu Egypt, as they say. Right. I'm talking about, you know, someone winning a major with a Greywater Fastness army or someone winning a major with Skaven. I know Skaven win tournaments. I know they have. Right. But out of those three that we, you know, that I just mentioned, there's only one that's winning. So what is the missing formula in the other two? You know what? I, I, I think I can answer that. You know, especially with Greywater Fastness, I think people, quite frankly, I'm just going to use a, a wide net to bring in a couple of fish to, to prove my point here, okay? So, so let, me, let me throw my wide net here. Sure. I was just talking to my son Evan about this the other night. Of course, everybody knows I'm, I'm building up an Ogre Maw Tribes um, army right now mostly oh an amazing army oh thank you um mostly ilk towards the beast claw raiders i love the big stompy you know robots i sold all my 40k except for my knights because i like big stompy stuff yeah but you know i noticed why people don't do very well with them and i'm not going to give my secrets away here but it's because people don't play them they, they, they they play the army as they would intend an ogre to play a dim-witted large you know idiot to 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 fight and of course that's never going to work but if i look at it from a standpoint of tanks with support infantry military tanks being your stone horns your thunder tusks with support infantry maybe your mechanized units that could be your your um you know your your um you know um your Mornfang or, or things like that, um, then all of a sudden you can kind of put it into a little bit of an understanding of how to actually maneuver things around the field. And I think that's what happens with the Greywater Fastness in a similar way. Um, because here's, here's, what it, here's why I think the method in how people play their armies has to be absolutely pivotal to board control, just like in real warfare, because you have to give your opponent many areas of denial. And here's what I mean by this. If built correctly, shooting-centric lists need to fairly predictably be able to focus fire and remove units on demand. And I'm going to get to why I just said In that. In the first two turns. In the first two turns. If this is the case, opponents not only rightly feel some trepidation and some concern in committing to you know, moving into your kill zone, which can make scoring objectives harder, but it can also deeply and fundamentally ruin their strategy for the game. And I don't see a lot of, um, I see a lot of gamers making mistakes because they're playing their army as they've read the title on the box. Does that make sense? Yes. So here's what I'm saying. A proper shooting list also needs to be able to exert overwhelming firepower with a focus on removing incoming threats first. 
And while it can be tough to ignore a scoring unit, you could easily wipe knowing that your units need to be able to continue firing for as long as possible is key. And I think what a lot of people do, like in many cases where, say, ogres aren't doing very well, is they're playing them like ogres. I think these Greywater Fastness players, although great gamers in their own right and great people and beautiful armies and well-put-together armies, they're playing them like a bunch of uh, 17th century poofy pants, you know, uh, blunderbusters. And, of course, you, you can't really do that. Does that make, does that make True, sense? True, but I think that also gets back, to, we're also drifting back into a previous topic, which is intent. Um, sometimes a person cannot abide what the meta says. And I know that may sound silly, but I'm telling you, there's players out there because like that because I'm one of them. I know that in my troll army, I should have goblins in front of my trolls to do to be as to serve as charge blockers. I know this. I mean, this is the smart move. I just can't do it because it doesn't fit the theme of my army. I think it's the same thing. I want to, I want to play all trolls. Right. I, and then I think uh, Greywater Fastness players can do the same. They do the same, or just any shooty player. You know, whether, could be Skaven, Greywater, could even be Zinch. They play, um, they want to go all shooting with their army and not have anything that can run up and grab objectives. Like, you know, if you're going to play something like a Greywater Fastness army, might not be a bad idea to have a unit of 30 halberdiers that can go up and grab an objective and at least sit on it for a little while. Uh, yeah. They, yeah, I mean, you know sc- I mean? Screen, screeners words, are, are... They're solely yeah. depending on what their image, just like you said, uh, of their image of what a poofy pants shooty army should look like like right. like you just stated right but that's okay right. if that's what you i mean if that's the army that brings you joy and if that's the army that you envision in your mind and you want to play then play that type of shooty army go for it but understand that you're you're not going to have the meat to hold on to those objectives because once that enemy gets to you and they're going to they only need one or two good units even even at half strength to come in and slaughter a bunch of handgunners. That's why we see certain players like Justin using three steam tanks because he yeah. knows that eventually somebody's going to get across that board either by magic or by or by flying. They're going to get to you, and you have yeah. to have something that can hold the line. Three tanks are going to hold the line. They they will a unit of ten handgunners or a unit of 20 handgunners is not going to hold the line you're right but what you're also doing though too is you're you're solving one problem at the void of the other one and again this is this is where i'm getting back to okay you've got your focus fire pieces right there in your steam tanks but you're also not as i said you're not denying the areas of the board to your opponent through three steam tanks well, they see it as I am denying them that because I'm killing them. Now you see In my point, words, though, of where I'm, I'm saying... I'm shooting them off the table. Yeah, but now you see my point where they're playing it as written on the box. Yeah, they're not really exactly. thinking about but, it in a four-dimensional type application. And for some people, that is the way they like to play that army. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's the way they see it, and they just can't abide, you know, playing it any other way. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny, just just as, and you make such great points, dude. But as we were talking, I, I was I was thinking about the, you know, how I have to keep the reality of warfare out of the game. I, I have to I have to stop that. Um, 
but in a sense, you're, you're going to have that. And you know what I thought of? Sure. I thought of shooting into combat. Now, <laughs> shooting into combat, um, simply being a non-factor, uh, you know, like in older editions of the game, means that screening units are a must-have in, in gunless, like you were saying. The, the fact that, that you can at least shoot into your own combat without any penalties when engaged with the enemy means that shooting units become worth it just with that fact alone. So Yeah, with that... up till um, uh, Skaven actually used to be the only army where they could shoot into their own troops. Right, and I've got a, I've got a topic I want to I ask you about, but my first question is, sure. what are your thoughts on shooting into combat in today's game version right now, a- AOS 2.0? Um, realistically... I think it would be damn near impossible to shoot into a combat and not hit your own troops. And we know, look, we know historically this stuff happened. I mean, there's a classic scene in Braveheart where, you know, the guy goes where, where Longshanks tells the, uh, one of his Lords start firing into the, into the crowd. And he goes, well, sir, aren't we going to hit our own troops? He says, yeah, but we'll hit theirs as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, but you have to remember, if I'm that guy in that combat and my own general starts shooting arrows into my unit, I mean, I'm going to break ranks. I'm, I'm going to break ranks or I'm going to turn on that general okay. and, and and try to attack. So him. so here's my we question for you. We have things what like... A, yeah, okay, not, you're, you're, you're going right like where I, I was going to go to. Well, we used to have things like leadership and morale in the game. Like there used to be a... Um, there used to be like what they called a panic test. So that's what I think is missing right now with AOS. I mean, look, psychology was a real pain in the ass at times, but it was realistic. It was realistic. Like for instance, and I know I'm drifting here, but if you saw a big giant monster come across the table, there was this thing called terror. Right. And unless you were like a, you know, a berserker or something crazy, you were, you know, there was a chance you could run that you would run from something like that. Shooting into combat in AOS is just it's very simple it's very basic it's nonchalant okay i can shoot into that unit as long as i'm not engaged in combat so it's very simple in aos i mean i'm not gonna lie i like it i think that it works i think that it works a lot easier than you know panic tests and you know all the other crazy stuff that used to come with it but is it realistic no all right i want to bring up one thing to you Sixth and seventh edition, they had the random shots rule. Would you like to see that come back in Asia? Well, the only unit, the only army that ever had it was Skaven. I know, but, but, okay, so. Would I like to see that come back? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So would I. It it, it is realistic. Um, Like, for instance, if, if my, let's say my Dankold Tragus is in combat. Right. And my trolls are all free and they start whipping rocks into that combat. You're going to tell me that those gigantic boulders, not one of them is going to end up hitting my <laughs> bank hole. I mean, ex- it's just not ex- real. It's just not realistic. Exactly. No, it's it, not realistic. No, not at all. And not at all. And, you know, the thing is, is that um, and I love the way that old mechanic worked. And I know that now I'm taking left turn at Albuquerque here. But that but that old mechanic was. Okay, Steve, correct me if I don't remember this correctly, but you would you would roll the hit, roll the wound, and then of the wounds, you had to roll how many as many dice correct. as One, you had two, wounds. One, three was your opponent. Right. Four, five, six was, yeah. was so, you. Right, so if you had like five wounds, you would take five dice and you would roll them. And a one through three, your guys got hit. On a yep. four through six, the, uh, the enemy yep. got hit. 
I really which is think, what it would be. Yeah, and I really think that bringing the 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 random shots rule back into Age of Sigmar would be perfect. It's realistic. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, it you would never see a shooting happening the way it happens in AOS anywhere in any kind of realistic setting. And, you know, combat is combat. I don't care if it's fantasy combat or, you know, like, you know, nonfiction combat. Sure. You're, you're going to have, if you're shooting into a combat, there's a chance you're going to hit your own guy. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I would love to see the randomization come back. I think it's, I think it's realistic. Right. But I also, but hold on. I also do not want to start seeing the minutiae sneak its way back into this game yeah AOS, I, I was yeah aos works because it's simple and you don't waste time looking at books and looking at charts and looking at this that and the other thing you shoot and if you can shoot in you know if you can shoot into a combat you shoot you roll the wound and if you kill something you kill something right it's done yeah yeah, no, I, and I agree with that. And I, yeah, like like I said, you know, I don't want to see bloat come back into the rules either. I, I get oh, that, God, and no. and uh, but but again, I think I think certain things would. Boy, how do I want to say this? I'm just I guess I'm just going to verbally puke here on on the my, my microphone. Um, uh, you would you would temper the uh the goofiness of it all. I think I think people would 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 think twice about shooting into that unit there you know that that there are other units in combat with uh lest they lest they hit their own troops you know um something like that but you're right i i don't think i now that i think about it i don't think uh, I, I want the rules bloat either i guess no no and i think that the reason that aos is successful is that is because we got rid of that kind of crap yeah. out of the game yeah that's true but that's true I don't know. There's a part of me that would like to see some amount of realism. Wait a minute. What the hell is that? What's going on? And now, it's time for that part of the show where we present the rules from hell. Yes, that's right, Grimdark Goons. It's time for the Rules from Hell, where we present the game rules from the past or present of the Warhammer worlds that just sucked. Here it is, gang. The Warhammer Rules from Hell. Let's face it, sometimes we, the players, are the hell to the rules. So listen up here, you short pants little demons. We're pointing our fingers right back at you for getting the rules wrong and making these rules hell on the tabletop. Objectives. Once you gain control of an objective, it remains under your control until the enemy is able to gain control of it. The key thing to remember about objectives is that unless the battle plan itself has specific objective rules, you use the ones in the main rulebook. And people tend to forget that you can move off of those objectives and you still control them. This is something really important to remember in those battle plans where you can burn objectives to gain victory points. You can claim it, and then, even if you are on the other side of the board, you still control that objective and can burn it to gain the victory points once the enemy gets close. So this could definitely be a rule from hell. 
And now you know a rule from hell. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the show. So we, we've kind of, we've kind of drug the some of the ideas here of a shooting army, you know, kind of through the mud here a little bit. So let, let's look at some, what some pros are. I think that that a shooting based army or units. Um, really, really has. And I, I think the first thing is the ability to take the opponent to a place of worry and concern in their minds. You know, take them out of their game mentally. If they see a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, gun lists and gun lines uh, on the other side of the table. And, I, and when, when I think of those type of lists, I, I immediately think of the first one is the, the, the newest one, really. The, the new threat, shooting threat on the table is uh, the eternal conflagration, the, the, the demon of Zeech. Uh, shooting army. The Disciples of each whose flamers are really impressive to say the least. Um, another unit that I think takes people out of their game mentally is the Skaven Warp Lightning Canyons or Gisales. Yep. You know, they've been known to do that. Skaven units, also like Storm Fiends, would be another one. Um, or more recently, the Mortec Crawler from the Osiarch Bone Reapers. And not because you know, it, it's it's really been a, around long enough to, to to have done anything significant, but because of what it hypothetically can do. I mean, we were hearing about this, this Mortec crawler, for how long before we even saw it on the table? And oddly enough, no one uses them. <laughs> that's I, that's exactly right. But but my whole point is that's the other part, the the, the that's the other thing, the mental game that yeah. these shooting lists can do, even before they fire a shot. For instance. Um... Like, if I'm going up against the Skaven army, and I see that my opponent has three Warp Lightning Cannons, what that does to your opponent, you being the person playing those three Warp Lightning Cannons, you know, the Skaven player, what it does to the opponent is it immediately creates this big flashing red light on that portion of the table. And what happens to an inexperienced player is that they focus all of their attention on those cannons. And they forget about everything else that's surrounding those cannons. They forget about the critters that can come flying out of those gnaw holes. They, they forget about the storm fiends that can come burrowing up and blast you, you know, right in your face. They forget about the magic. And that is the advantage that a shooting player has. Because if I see three yeah. warp lightning cannons on the table, I know that that can absolutely devastate me if I don't remove them. Right. So, unfortunately, it's what I call a forced focus. You have to, you have to come get me. You have to destroy me. Because if you don't, those warp cannons are going to be popping out of those gnaw holes all over the board, dodging you every turn and shooting you and just tearing your army to pieces. Mm -hmm. So that's the advantage a shooting player has in this current in this current meta. Yeah, they can create that flashing red light that you have to go take care of. Right. And that throws everyone off their game, or at least it usually does if they're not a really good player. And, you know, and it doesn't even have to be artillery pieces to kind of mentally mess you up in the game. I mean, you take Oryx, who can invest heavily in things like Arrow Boys that mesh well with support options and other yeah. allegiance abilities available yeah. to them, that can mess you up. Or, like we talked about before, you know, the Zeech. You know, there's no artillery in that unit, but those those demons are, are pretty fierce. And... You know, when when you look at units uh, like that of Zeech, Skaven, Osiarchs, you know, they've changed the game. And sometimes before even firing a shot because of the, the psychological effect of what a, a shooting army can, can bring to the to the table. And I think 
I think what makes sense um, and what makes these units and armies like Zeech and the cities of Sigmar so fierce is their capability to shoot down hordes, even beyond the fact that neither army has high save units they have access to quality and quantity in their gun units and that was the point that i was trying to make before when i was talking about how people play these armies you know quality as long as quantity is 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 almost if not just slightly more important than quantity you want quality in their gun units and 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 here's my example you know uh, an example of a unit that 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 isn't as good as advertised as far as quality here, Steve, is the long strike uh, stormcast, the 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 uh, the long strike cross the long strike crossbow yeah, the giant, the, the the ballista, the guys, right? Yeah. You know the, the the problem is um, with mobility as it is now in the game, like you brought up the gnaw holes or Zeech or Slanesh or Beast of Chaos, where enemy units can simply bypass the stormcast stormcast screens or, or really the lack thereof. These very elite shooters have proven to, to, you know, not outlast their opponents. And, and I get it. A lot of people who are probably going to be listening to this are going to say, what are you, crazy? They're Stormcast. They're great. And I, and I agree with a, a twos by threes, you know, only one shot, but with a negative two damage, and I believe it's two uh, or, or negative two rend, and I believe negative two damage, they're, they're capable of removing a threat. But at 170 points for three in a unit, they leave so very few points for support pieces that they, they have gone really the way of the dodo as far as shooting armies so i think the other thing that you see gamers doing is they're not quite as conscientious about what they're putting in their army they're just happy that they're putting who in their army you, you understand my, my, my point that i'm trying to make it yeah it's, absolutely it's do. a lack of quality over the the quantity and you know what that really backs up to and, and you've heard us talk about this a lot on this show in some areas is the checklist you know, when, when, when we quote, you know, Michael over at Doom and Darkness, or, or when even you say it in your own way, Steve, as far as checking all the boxes, well, these shooting armies have their own checklist. You know, your army needs point-efficient shooters. They need access to at least negative one Ren. They need a good volume of shooting and, and support in the form of spells or abilities, I guess, too, would be good. But, but that can get your shooting rolls, you know, in a good place. I mean, if you can get your shooting consistently down to threes by threes, I think you're going to do some damage. And if you and if you can't say yes to really all of that or most of it, you got to look at your book. You may not be uh, competitively viable, you know, for, for this type of, a, of an army to be a shooting list. And, and like I said, maybe you're trying to push the cabbage or the keyhole if you really don't have a shooting army and you're just trying to force it. Yeah, once again, we go back to intent. You know, are are they trying to build an army that just looks aesthetically cool and they just like to take all shooters? Okay, right. fine, great. You know, that's not a problem. Uh, but yeah, if you're intending to build an army to win and, and be consistently winning, yeah, you better have a well-rounded army. You better have an army that checks all the boxes. Yeah. And more importantly, you want to have not just shooting but quality shooting like you said right steam tanks are quality shooting yeah they are you know anything like hand gunners i would even say are quality shooting right you know am i going to take you know like little trash troop units of shooters like with bows or something no forget it like the spider riders and the gloom spite gets i could take a unit of 30 of them they're fives by fives right they're not going to wound a damn thing they're going to maybe cause two to three wounds out of all those shots. They'll cause two to three wounds. So that's, that's mass quantity, low impact shooting. 
okay, great. So you're you're, you're going to shoot me with 60 shots and you're only going to cause two to three wounds. Yeah. You just completely wasted yeah. your time. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just, you know, now if those bows had poison, okay, now we're talking, you know, if they're like wounded on sixes or something, but yeah, right. Yeah. But that's just, it, it, that's not the case with most, with most armies. I think the only army that can really be shooty and get away with it is gray water fastness. Um, I would agree with that most. Yeah. Because they have the ability um, to throw those steam tanks in your face and to throw maybe some halberdiers. Zinch, deadly on shooting, but if I get to you, you're dead. You have no chance of survival if I get to you. The only thing that you have of any kind of impact is going to be your um, your big bird, your Lord of Change. Right. That's, That's the true. only thing you have yeah. that can that can get into a fight and hope to survive against any kind of a mid-level impact infantry unit or cavalry unit. Right. So, yeah. You know, I, I, th- I think to boil what you just said out of the pot, you need to boil all the water out of the pot and kind of kind of get to the cusp of it is, you know, in order to have a successfully run shooting army at your disposal, it, it isn't enough to seemingly have access to shooting units, which seem solid on paper. You know, in, in order to win as a shooting army, you know, you really have to consider not only, as I said before, your book, what Steve is saying too, you're supporting units, but do you have access to multiple shots, multiple shooting units, ideally with a similar range? Do you have things that are 24, 30, 36 inches? Um, can you produce a volume of shots in addition to the quality of shots? You know, if you can get, you know, 50 quality shots off, you know, now you're cooking with gas, I think, in that army. Yeah. I mean, like handgunners are great. I mean, yeah. they have, you know, a rent of one. You know, which can get through that armor. Awesome troops. But, you know, you're just talking about something like crossbows. Okay, great. They have the range, but they don't have rend. Right. So now they have a problem again. And so, you need rend. Like we always talk about, reach oh, in yeah. any form, rend, and award save. No rend, no award <laughs> save, no deal. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, for me, my own personal philosophy. But going back to this, and this is why I kind of said in the beginning, when I kind of teed this conversation up, and why I think it's so interesting, and why I think it's a very difficult type of army to play competitively not a tent aside and i get what you're saying because that makes a ton of sense but shooting armies more than most need their plans to go flawlessly yes you know they're they're often going to you know not always but they're most of the time going to be somewhat static in their movement they're going to fall too far behind in the score um, most of the time, which can create a scenario where it's impossible to win. And and here's something else that a lot of people don't consider. A shooting army on its back foot, after it's been rocked a few times, has likely already lost. You know, scoring early against such, you know, such armies, I mean, if you're competing against a shooting army, can quickly snowball the whole game in your favor. Yeah, and, they, are, um, what, they are what I refer to as a beginning of the game army yeah if they don't take the first two rounds successfully the last three rounds are going to be bad for them yeah yeah and and in the words of mike tyson everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the mouth you got it and you know and the thing is many shooting armies can muster a significant offense like steve was saying you know they, they they can easily remove hordes characters and where they're actually going to struggle is against armies with high unit counts um target situation is really their their main focus and some of the sometimes their main bane in the game so 
Rushing a shooting-minded army with several threatening units at once um, can often be the easiest way to force a misplay. And, and what I mean by that is if, if I were to take my 300 nobblers and go straight ahead, if I were to take uh, six stone horns, I think with, with our five-plus ward save, three-plus by five-plus or four-plus by five-plus ward save, I think I'm going to do okay. And ironically, uh, the very targeting discipline a good shooting army general needs to succeed can very much be used against many of those types of players. And I think that's the other thing that makes it challenging, not not impossible, but challenging to win your lion's share of games with a shooting-based army. I mean, if you're going all in with shooting. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, and, and you know, I, I don't want to seem like it's completely negative because depending on your list, um, well, I, I guess I'll just say it like this, negative or not. I mean, depending on your list, you know, those playing against shooting armies um, – may simply not be afraid of casualties. I mean, if I'm playing my, my 300 nobblers, I don't care if I lose 80 of them, 100 exactly. of them. It doesn't yeah. matter. Nobody cares. Yeah, shooting armies very much use the psychology, like we talked about, of pulling loads of enemy models off the table or the threat of it against their foe. This, shooting armies, first and foremost, before a shot is fired, is psychological. It's mental. Playing against a shooting army can mean accepting the bloody nose, um, which, you know, is to their key advantage if you can't accept the fact as a person playing against a shooting army that that you're going to be putting a lot of those models right back in the box um then that that person might have already won my thought yeah i mean i think that um you have to always be prepared to go into any game to lose because it's going to happen sure and when you go up against a shooty army you have to understand that you may not have every box checked you may not be able to offer them any kind of a challenge. Um, play it out. See how it goes. I mean, I believe in being real. I mean, you know, if, if, if I'm going up against, you know, a shooting army and, you know, two-thirds of my army is gone, I understand this. I, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, yeah, well, I can still pull it out. I mean, chances are you're not because most of us who play this game are math guys. Sure. And we can see and we can see how the sure. game is going often by the end of the second turn. So, you know, whenever you come up against a shooting opponent, just be prepared. Just be prepared to lose about a third of your army. And if you can still pull out a victory with what you have left, then you're going to probably be successful against them. So let me let me ask you a question. Sure. Top three best shooting armies in the game right now. Starting with starting with the or starting with the number three all the way to the the top one. Okay, so from three ascending. Okay, so Skaven are in third Greywater place. Fastness, second and Zinch. I, I I would agree with you a hundred percent. I think uh, I think I think Greywater Fastness. Actually, I, I got to be honest with you. In in, in many ways, Tempest Eye. Uh, you know, offering in some Karajan Overlords is a pretty vicious shooting list in itself as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, I would uh, almost put Greywater Fastness even with Zinch. Would you really? Almost. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I guess I missed the why. almost part. Okay, go ahead. Here's why. Uh, the Greywater Fastness has access to a greater uh, range than the Zinch do. 
Zinch have to get close to you relatively. They have to be within 18 inches. Well, that puts them within charge distance. Uh, a gray water fastness army, like with those steam tanks, I believe their range is like 24 to 30, somewhere in there. So if you can have a range of 24 or 30 for those cannonballs, you can sit back at, you could sit right at the back of the table and just shoot until they get, until they get to your line. In other words, you don't have to move if you don't want to. That's where I think gray water fastness has an advantage. I mean, I, I think I think Zeech is going to get to you a hell of a lot faster. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But but they're going to be able to close the gap. So, but by doing so, they put themselves in danger because if you move within 18 of me, I'm going to move up my full distance and then I'm going to try to charge you, or I'm going to use a hand to gork and try to you know hit you with a nine inch charge on the side. Or yeah, something. yeah, that's but true. I'm gonna, but I'm going to I'm going to get to you if you come that close to me. Right. So. It's going to happen. Like I said, if you have shooting at a at a high range, you're going to be successful. Right. All right. Which is why I would put Greywater Fastness just slightly under siege. Just slightly. Okay. All right. I like it. Well, good stuff, man. That was a good topic. I mean, I, I always like uh, having like those fringe topics every once in a while than really, you know, kind of getting into some of the hardcore topics like we've been talking about. It's always nice to kind of look at uh, uh, a certain perspective of an army or, or a certain piece of an army and kind of get a perspective of it, you know? Sure. I agree. Good stuff. Hey, gang. I really hope you're enjoying the Grimdark Live show so far. Thanks for being with us. But before we get to the question of the day, I want to ask you to head over to GrimdarkLive.com to enter the Nerd Bunker by becoming a supporter of the show on Patreon. There are six different levels to fit the support you may be interested in, and all provide special benefits and services to our members. So please head over to GrimdarkLive.com and become a patron of the show. And while you're on GrimdarkLive.com, you should know that Grimdark Live isn't just there for entertainment. We're a full-time miniatures assembly and painting service. We have three different levels that we currently paint to, and we provide free quotes. So let us know if you have something you need painted, and we'll get it done for you. And if Patreon or painting isn't something you're ready to do at this time, we totally understand. And thank you for spending time with us here on Grimdark Live. So with that said, let's get to the question of the day. You ready, man? We got the question of the day. Roll. Here it is. So here's the question of the day. So, Steve, here it is. Is building your army for only a few phases of the game foolhardy, or does a greater focus on less phases help you? I think that the person who builds the check-every-box army is going to be more successful but because I'm stubborn with my own army, uh, I have magic covered. I have fighting covered. I have moderate shooting covered, but I don't have great shooting. And I'm just talking from perspective of my troll army. So I would say that the person who has a more well-rounded list, who's checking at least all the boxes somewhat is going to is, is going to be more successful in the long run. But once again, it goes back to intent. Do you even care? 
or are you relying solely on the fighting phase? Like, are you relying on the fact that you're so good at fighting that you don't care about shooting? Yeah. That's, that's something that you have to think about. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think you got to check all the boxes because you have to be able to not only give your opponent, but you got to be able to take those shots too. You know, yep. you, you can't you can't be totally clamshell defensive or wild and swinging offensive either. You know, you, you have to be, you kind of have well, to find that can, middle ground. But you have to pay the price for it. Well, yeah, you know, you you better you better make sure that if you're you know if you're wildly offensive and you decide to block with your face that uh, that you can take those shots. You know, That's without right. <laughs> without without finding yourself you know to you know waking up next Tuesday. Yep. So. All right. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, sir, you've got the uh, you got the closing thoughts, man. Enlighten us. Yeah. So um, I think we're all at a point of mental exhaustion as we come to the end of these, you know, state mandated social distancing rules. So let's try some new things to help prevent some more stress while returning to this hobby. You know, years ago, we would sometimes move gaming tables outside during this time of the year with the weather getting warmer and the sun finally showing its face again. So instead of being cooped up inside of a musty store all day, you know, why not try to buy a collapsible table of sturdy quality and get your games outside? You'd be surprised how much different the gaming experience is and how much more open and relaxing it can be. You know, why not bring a grill and make it a grill and kill day? I think it's safe to say that, you know, most gamers are going to have cabin fever after this plague decides to leave us. Planning a game day outside can be refreshing, it can be relaxing, and less claustrophobic. This experience, you know, has not been good for any of us. From the people on the front line, and God bless them, to the sick people that have had to endure it, and to our fellow countrymen, you know, wherever you are in the world, that were taken by this. So it's time for us to get back what we have lost. And I think it's time for us to emerge from our troglodytic existence and come back into the light. And those are my closing thoughts. Never, uh, never truer words were spoken, man. Good one. That's it. All right. Well then that's, uh, then that is it. That's a, that's a heck of a way to close the show, man. We're done. Good show. Yeah. I think we checked all the boxes tonight, that's for sure. <laughs> we sure we sure did, man. We sure did. Well, good stuff. From Dark Live, I'd like to thank you for slumming it through another show with us for all things dice, dragons, demons, and a dwarf in the Age of Sigmar Worlds. We'll be back live next Thursday, so until then, remember, roll them dice fun and fair, and don't be a freaking short pants. Miss the live show, you can catch us again right here on the next Grim Dark Live podcast. Never fear, gang. There'll be more great content from Grim Dark Live throughout the week with Monster Mondays, Table War Tuesdays, Warhammer Wednesdays, Grim Dark Crutch Matches, and a ton more. So stay tuned and stay grim. All you dice chucking, goose sniffing gamer games, you're all awesome. Looks like I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. Remember, embrace the main message here from Windark Live, and that's a social contract we have between gamers and the commitment we have to each other and this community. We're only as good as our last game.
Check us out at GrimdarkLive.com. Don't forget to give our channel a like or subscribe if you haven't already done so. So long, Grimdark Goons. Until next time, may the dice gods bless you and your sweaty palms.